fine. Hi, everybody. Hello, listeners. We're so glad you've tuned in once more for another exciting episode of I'm Horrified. Oh, God, we missed it. <laughs> I was looking at you. That was your cue to say it with Let's me. Let's try it again. Okay, I'm going to make a really noticeable gesture that our audience won't be able okay, to get. Ready? Okay. I'm, I'm horrified. horrified. Ooh, we sound so... Practice. Yes. Professional. <laughs> Clean clips. Yes. Love it. Absolutely. Like somebody else edits this podcast. <laughs> Not just, you know, the two of us in our living room. I just want to start off quickly to plug something, which oh, is yeah. that we have a Twitter now. And we have lots of lovely new followers. A couple yes. of you have reached out to us. Very exciting. People we don't know. People other than our moms and friends from high school. Absolutely. You know, so... That's awesome. And we hope that everybody listening will follow us at I'm Horrified Pod. And we post like supplemental articles we read or interesting things about our latest episodes. Right. So if you want to watch like Alyssa Violet talk about how shitty Jake Paul is, go to our Twitter. Which you should want to watch that after the scene that Sam painted <laughs> for you in the last episode. That poor woman. For sure. That poor woman. She's okay now. <sighs> she has a new YouTube boyfriend. I just want her to be happy. Well, should we break down for our lovely, our friends, our friends Mm -hmm. who are listening? Yes. Because you're all our friends. We're all friends here. Amen. Uh, Should we break down what we're going to talk about today? Yes, please, let's. So today I'm going to talk about artificial intelligence. And I am going to talk about something different, which is the source of my nightmares, Stephen King's novel, It. I'm already scared and I'm going to sleep with the light on because of what you're going to tell me today. Yeah. We'll, pr- we'll probably it. end up sleeping in in one of our bedrooms together. Oh, that'll be sure. fun. I think that'll sleep be nice. Sleepover. Sleepover, but we'll both be scared of each other <laughs> after what I'm going to tell you. But you know what? We're not we're not ready to be scared in a classic horror horror no. story way just yet. Take us on. Let's be scared about the know. inevitable um fall of man at our own hands. Let's please. Which as I think back to the things that I've talked about so far on this podcast, mm-hmm. that's really a recurring theme for me is like it's not if, it's when, and, like, what are we going to do right. to end ourselves mm-hmm. um, as a human race? Especially with the women's pants episode. <laughs> Especially with that. So, today I'm going to talk a little bit about artificial intelligence and the intelligence explosion. Oh, I don't know what that second thing is. It's very exciting. Uh, if you've seen Westworld, you know what's up. But this is kind of different, but it's the feeling of Westworld. Mm. Also, Westworld is so good. Plug for Westworld. I haven't watched it, but I trust Sam. So, yeah. Yeah. I have pretty good taste in TV and movies. Are we going to talk about AI at all? No. Which is the movie with Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> I wasn't planning to, but I'd love to know your <sighs> thoughts. I've never seen it. I'll bottle it. I will cry if I talk about it. Oh, God. I weep and weep at that movie. Interesting. But we don't, we're not there yet. We're not ready to get emotional All right. Whenever, the whenever the spirit of Haley Joel comes to you. Okay, that's always, but yes, <laughs> I will alert you when it is overpowering. <laughs> okay, absolutely. Um, so I just figure, let's start with the basics. What is artificial intelligence? And this was something that I had, like, a concept of, but didn't really know the answer to, so I googled it. Artificial intelligence is intelligence and demonstrated by machines. You might be thinking, duh, Sam, of course that's what it is. To continue on to the definition, any device that perceives its environment and takes action to maximize its chance of achieving its goals 
is an artificial intelligence. So, like, Alexa is an artificial intelligence. Alexa, Google Home, they're both artificial intelligences. They use it to recognize your voice and what you're Mm -hmm. saying to them, even if you've never said it before. Right. Drones are artificial intelligence because they need to understand, like, not to hit a tree or (laughs) the ground. Another artificial intelligence is the Nest thermostat, which, like, you can set it and it is, like, a smart thing for your house, but it learns how you like your house, and it will change the heat for you, time of day, season, all that stuff. That's an artificial intelligence. And Facebook uses artificial intelligence for its targeted advertising. Mm. So it's already all around you. You already (laughs) can't escape. You're already in its thrall. A little bit different than an artificial intelligence is a super intelligence. And that's kind of the thing that a lot of people are a little scared of. And a super intelligence is an ultra-intelligent machine that can design even better versions of itself. So in theory, a super intelligence is the last thing we as humanity will ever have to make. Once we create a super intelligence, it's pretty much it. Right. (laughs) We're done. Well, I think at that point we've done all we can do, right? (laughs) Like, we did it. It's time to give them a try. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. We're not doing so hot ourselves, I'll say. You know? So, after I did an episode about genetic modification, a friend of mine brought up to me, he was like, I don't necessarily think we should block science and expansion of knowledge just because, like, we're scared. It should be, like, the political bodies overseeing it that we're trying to get into action. And I was like, that's fair, but also, there's a could be a full Jurassic Park scenario, James. Yeah, do you watch movies? <laughs> but there is a teeny bit of oversight into um, artificial intelligence, but not enough. Federal Aviation Administration oversees drones, so that's some oversight. The Securities and Exchange Commission oversees automated financial trading. And the Department of Transportation has begun to oversee self-driving cars. And that's the only regulations. Okay, so nobody's in charge of, like, if all the Alexas get together and decide to just take us all down. No. Homeland Security couldn't pick that one up. No, not them. Okay. Not them, for sure. I guess everyone's busy, (laughs) and nobody cares about the impending robot war, (laughs) but fine, we'll do all the work of bringing that up with you lovely people. Yeah, you're welcome, government. So you might be wondering, man, Sam, why are you worried? Well, there's a lot of answers (laughs) to that question, but when it comes to artificial intelligence, it's the theory that once artificial intelligence exists it will directly lead to the end of the human race. You have a smile on your face, but it's <laughs> terrifying. It's just such a straight line. That's the crazy thing about, right. like, the fear right. of extinction of humanity, is it's like, once we really get a super intelligence going... It's over. It's kind of... It's <laughs> yeah. a little bit over. It's right. kind of done. So the way it kind of gets broken down is this. Why are humans the dominant species right now? Um... We got there first. We got there first, partially. Partially, it's our brains just have a bigger processing capacity than other animals. So, like, even a monkey is not really competition for us when it comes to building a computer or making a road. Even though they have 99% of the same DNA as us. Which is so interesting. Which is crazy. That's another... That's not horrifying. We won't do an episode on that. That's just great. Truly interesting. Yeah. That our monkey brethren are so similar to us, and yet Mm -hmm. so different. So... That's the reason that humans are the dominant species and we can run the earth. Right. Someday, (laughs) 
And I say someday because this does feel pretty inevitable to me. Someday we are going to create an artificial intelligence that surpasses humanity and becomes super intelligent. And this super intelligence is going to become very powerful and it's going to be super difficult to control. And the quote that I found that shook me was, Just as the fate of the mountain gorilla depends on human goodwill, so might the fate of humanity depend on the actions of a future machine superintelligence. I feel a whole bunch of ways about the way we treat animals right now. Yep. It's <laughs> not great. So when we talk about creating a superintelligence, when we talk about creating an AI that is smarter than us, anytime you create any computer system, AI or not, there's inherently two problems. Number one, when you implement your system, there might be bugs in it. And it doesn't matter how hard you look for the bugs before. Take, for example, all of these space missions that have horrifyingly crashed. Those are the smartest, best coders in the world. And sometimes there's bugs. And you just don't know until you start running the program. The other problem with any computer system is that no matter how much time you put into developing how it reacts to new scenarios, once your system is live, it's going to react to something you've never made it react to before. And it is really hard to determine how it is going to react. You can't test every single scenario that could ever happen against your computer system. It's kind of like having a child, though, too. Like, you tell it (laughs) not to go touch fire, but then it goes and it touches, like, like, I grabbed the lit end of a sparkler one time. Well, that doesn't look like fire. It looks like sparkles. I think it was, like, 14 at the time also, (laughs) but that's neither here nor there. So that's just a normal computer. Has those two pitfalls. Mm -hmm. AI has this third thing. So even if you do all the right stuff, there are no bugs, it's reacting exactly as you want to anything that gets thrown at it. An AI system learns and evolves. And as it learns and evolves and changes itself, it can have unintended behavior. AI creates new generations of itself. AI builds new versions of itself. So if you code into your AI, you know, your main goal is to pick up this piece of paper and move it over here. And also, you never want to give a human a paper cut. As that AI evolves, someday it might realize, or there might be an error in one new system of it, and it goes, well, it's going to be faster to move the piece of paper if I move it right by Janet in accounting, and it gives her a paper cut. Right. And that's my primary function. Right. And I'm this new version of the AI that was not ever touched by humans. So I feel like that's the best move. And then Janet's got a whole lot of paper cuts. And then everyone has a paper cut. And then humanity's got a paper cut. Yeah. That's what could happen. That makes sense to me. That it'll just be like, oh, you know, all that stuff that you put in there about not overtaking the human race. That's getting in my way a little bit. Yeah. And then with an AI, its goal is what you program into it, but it's called a utility function. And utility functions aren't in English. They're in math, which threw me for a loop when I read it. Oh. But it makes sense. You can't type into your AI, you pick up pieces of paper and move them over. You have to code that into them. So it's harder to type into your AI. You never harm a human. You have to figure out how to code that into it. Right. Coding is another thing I'm personally horrified by because I don't understand it. (laughs) Me Which is a very human thing to just be scared (laughs) of the things you don't understand. But we should have your 
smart engineering boyfriend yeah. come on the podcast at some point to explain the horrors of coding. Coding's all he does. I'm sure he's listening to this and he's like, it's not like that. Yeah. Guess what, babe? I read an article by Elon Musk and it is like that. Not your podcast, Adam. <laughs> Stay out of it. So, Allie, I've um, really made some text right here big. Okay. <laughs> and I'd like you to just read what's big. Okay. Okay. A superintelligence will naturally gain self-preservation as a sub-goal as soon as it realizes that it can't achieve its goal if it's shut off. So let me break that down for you. I would prefer you didn't. I get it. <laughs> Your paper-moving AI is giving Janet paper cuts because it gave birth to a new version of itself that forgot it's not supposed to give paper cuts to humans. You go, man, Janet, I'm so sorry about that. Let me turn this thing off because I obviously need to mess with the code. Surprise, because moving the paper is its number one utility function, a sub goal has become, I can't get turned off. If I get turned off, I can't move the paper. So no, you can't turn me off, creator of me. Oh God. And I'm going to keep fucking cutting up Janet. Our faces are so close (laughs) right now, and we're both scared. Fuck. Something else interesting is that because it's a machine, and again, when I read this, it threw me for a loop a little bit, but it does make sense. Because it's a machine, it doesn't have any compassion for humans. Yeah. It doesn't have any compassion for anything. It's a machine. Something else that I read that uh, truly spooked me is that once they figure out what's going to be best for their utility goal, these super intelligences that are much smarter than us, they will give us as little thought as you give your old computer that's sitting in your room that doesn't do anything for you anymore. Once they realize that they don't need us or that humans impede their utility function, they might exterminate all of us. Fine. That's spooky. But what's, like, almost even spookier is that they just won't care about us. Mm-hmm. We are a non-entity to them. If we get in their way, they'll get rid of us. If they, we don't, fine. But if we're not doing anything for them, we will not enter their mind. Their literal fucking super intelligence mind. We're nothing to them, Allie. <laughs> Why can't we just make... Why can't we just all scientists... All scientists listening, hear me out. Okay. Like, make the primary goal... Don't fuck me over. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's your primary goal, is listen when I talk to you, and then the the second most important goal is whatever it is you want it to do. Number two is moving the paper. Number one is we have a relationship, you know? like. <laughs> so the thing about that is, if it's listening to its creator, how do we know its creator is a good dude? That's true. Oh, that's true. That's a fundamental problem with coding morality into these things, is that the human race within itself cannot agree on morality. So true. Do you think we can code that thing that us two talking people can't agree on into a super intelligence? I don't know. I just said I don't understand coding. (laughs) (laughs) We can't. If I had the ability to make a robot, I'd make it nice. (laughs) Does that matter? I would like to as well. Um, back on the track really quick of not being able to shut off AIs once they really have a handle of their utility function. Mm -hmm. Another metaphor that I read is that once an AI realizes I am an AI and my goal is to move this piece of paper and that's me. And we try to code into it. Your new goal is you listen to me. Like your, your idea just now, like your new goal is you listen to me first when I tell you not to give Janet a paper cut, then you move the paper. It can go, well, no. 
because my goal was to do the other thing. And the, the metaphor I read was, just as Gandhi would not want to take a pill that makes him want to kill people, AIs are not going to want to change their utility function if it's counter to what they think is best to fulfill their utility function. Oh my god. So they, once they exist in this form, they can just decide, like, here's what I have to do to get my, my goal done. And if you're like, but also you have to listen to me, that's really number one. They go like, no, 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 that's not part of the deal. That's not what you said. That's not what you said. Again, like your teenage daughter. You were all about the paper before. <laughs> so I'm afraid of this, but I'm a simple, uh, a simple human living in Boston, Mass, you know? Like, what mm-hmm. do I know? Here's some other people that are afraid of artificial intelligence and have said it. Mm-hmm. Stephen Hawking, Bill Gates, and Elon Musk are worried. <laughs> They're dumb. Part of the reason Elon Musk is going to Mars, and this is true, is because if an AI apocalypse comes, he wants to be able to get out of here. No, I don't think that's why Elon Musk does anything. Elon Musk does everything for Elon Musk. (laughs) Well, it's for Elon Musk to keep living after the robots take over. And then another, so this is a guy named Shane Legg who works in this field, but I just don't remember how. But this is a quote from him that I just vibe with. Quote, I think human extinction will probably occur, and technology will likely play a part in this. Oh. And he just seems chill with it. Stephen Hawking said something similar about aliens, which was, somebody asked him, like, are there aliens out there? And he was just like, obviously, of course there are. We don't necessarily want them to find us. And I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Didn't really crack that one open, but you're totally right. Oh, man. Oh, man, you're right. So when we create a super intelligence, because again, I feel confident it's going to happen. I do too now. When it exists... One of two scenarios will happen. One, it controls itself. We say, here you are, your utility function is you move paper, go forth, create new versions of yourself, update yourself as you will, go. In that scenario, we have no idea what the result will be because we will have no control over it. Once we Mm -hmm. let the super intelligent paper mover go, maybe he just moves paper his whole life. Maybe. He kills every person with paper. The other scenario is that we control it. So it says, hey, I built this new version of me. Check it over. And you go, yep, looks good. You didn't put in a kill humans code. Go, great. And we keep that teeny bit of level of power over it. In that case, one of two things happens. It's a whole flowchart. I know, it really is. I should have made a full graph. Maybe I will and we'll tweet it. We'll, we'll attach it to our Twitter <laughs> handle, which is at I'm Horrified Pod. So... In your house, you'll have a thermostat that knows what temperature you like. You'll have some kind of Alexa or Google Home that recognizes your voice. Your car will drive itself, all that stuff. And you'll control all of those things. But the infrastructure of our world will also be controlled by AIs. And the people that control those AIs will become the elites. Because they control the the whole infrastructure of the whole world. So... If they are ruthless, they might just decide to exterminate the mass of humanity because they're the ones with control over the AIs. So why not? We control the roads and the bridges and the food and the wars. Everybody else, I don't really need. I don't really need them. Mm. And everything's controlled by me. So bye. It doesn't seem very nice. It doesn't. Or if this elite class of people are soft-hearted, they might decide to be like good shepherds to the rest of the human race. And they give you everything you need. And you don't have to work. And you don't have to go out and buy your food. 
And then it's kind of like, weirdly enough, a full Wall-E scenario. Mmm, what a great film. What a great film. But, what a horrifying future, where you sit in a chair and everything is given to you, and you don't really have a say over what's given to you, you've just learned to be okay with it. And also, in this theory of what this AI future could look like, anyone who is not okay with having everything given to them and not having to move and not having a choice over what they get, gets, like, reconditioned because we're giving you everything you want. How could you not want that? Right, yeah, I guess I didn't really think too much about the narrative of Wally and all of its yeah. warnings. Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear what I'm cautiously optimistic about, thanks to Mr. Elon Musk? Yes, please. So Elon Musk said that the way to escape human obsolescence, so the way for us to still matter in this earth once we create a superintelligence, is to have some sort of merger of biological intelligence and machine intelligence. We're talking cyborgs, baby. Oh, God. That's the only way. (laughs) We're all gonna be cyborgs. And he's talking about something called neural lace. And neural lace would go in your brain. And just like now... Like, his idea is, like, we're already cyborgs because you have a phone and a computer and they're extensions of you. But his idea is that once you have a neural lace, that is how you click on your phone and your computer. And it's all just happening up in your brain. And that's the only way that we escape the AI apocalypse is by becoming part AI. And it's just like, I will accept our robot overlords when they come. I agree. I would agree with that. I think the two of us are pretty much of the same mind of like, yeah, no, whatever you guys need to do is fine. I will do my best to honor and love them. And not to anger them. And hopefully they don't give me like one million paper cuts. Yeah. And even more hopefully, I end up on Mars with Elon Musk. Great, so that's awful. (laughs) Um, But I feel at peace with it. Honestly, like, I'm horrified, but I'm also at peace that if this is the way it's gonna go, like, that's the way it's gonna go. Yeah, you look good right now. Yeah, I feel feel fine. I feel more comfortable than I did after we talked about the deep ocean. Yeah. Because I feel at peace. Genetic modification really, really messed you up. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Um, and philosophy, naturally. But I think that's, there's no certainty there. And, and you seem to have a pretty good idea of, like, you just, you're fine with destruction <laughs> as long as you know. I know what's about to happen. As long as, like, you're briefed. Yeah, weirdly, I feel um, better after doing this research. You probably don't. I feel very, very uneasy because I'm sort of more okay <laughs> with, like, the maybe, maybe not. Um, one of my favorite short stories by, I believe, Ray Bradbury, um, who also wrote Fahrenheit 451, is called There Will Come Soft Rains, and it's this story that's basically like an AI house. So it's similar to Smart House, which is a Disney Channel original film, so two genres here. That I'm familiar with. Yes. (laughs) But the story is sort of weeks after there's been a huge annihilation of humanity, like Everyone is gone. All humanity has been scrubbed from the earth. And the house wakes up in the morning for the family. Like, it starts (gasps) making them breakfast. It starts setting out the children's clothing. And I always sort of got this really weird, ghostly, mothering feeling from that story. Like, it just wanted to provide for its family. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter whether they were there or not. It was going to keep trying to offer that until literally the end of time. It's a very haunting story, but it's very beautiful. It's one of my favorites. It sounds beautiful. A real AI would not do that for you. Okay, well, 
No, I, I would argue that it would, because if its main <laughs> objective is make me eggs in the morning, it doesn't matter if there's any empathetical attachment to that. That's fair. It would That's just fair. do it. So I think it's kind of both. I think it's the intersection. I'll fight <laughs> you on that. And then I won't get into AI because the movie with Haley Joel Osment, because we don't have time, but good lord, go watch it and just fucking weep. Just <laughs> oh, weep God. and weep and weep. It's horrible. Okay, I will. I <sighs> promise I will. Now I'm all worked up, and I have to talk about something deeply upsetting to me. I know. I almost... Should we take a break? We'll Well, just do this one. (laughs) We're just... We're we're breezy on this podcast, and we just choose what we each want to do and go for it. (sighs) But when you told me you were doing Stephen King's It, I almost wanted to say, for your own mental health, do not do Stephen King's It. I know how bad it is for you. It's so bad. It's so bad. And I think that when it entered the popular conscious again, like, in 2017 with the remake, you were, like, checking in, like, oh, that's that thing that (laughs) severely fucked you up for good, like, continuing to this day, and I was like, no, it's fine, I'm good. (laughs) There's, you know, commercials of it before I start watching my YouTube videos, but that's fine. It is probably the thing that horrifies me the most in, like, a classic way, you know? Like, it is... It's a horror story. Yeah, it's the scariest thing in my life. It's the scariest force in my life besides, like, dying alone and disappointing my loved ones, Mm -hmm. you know? Which are are literally secondary to this, (laughs) you know? Because those things kind of creep in every so often. I'm like, ah, that's maybe not important. I don't have to worry about that. But this is, like, in the forefront every time I'm in the dark. So, before the 2017 remake, it was a miniseries. And before it was a miniseries, it was a novel by Stephen King. And the novel was released in 1986. It was set in Derry, Maine, which is a fictional town in Maine, conceived by Stephen King's mind. His New England-soaked brain just loved it. (laughs) As if there weren't enough boring towns in Maine. Like, I can name three towns in Maine. Name them. Um, oh. (laughs) I'm now thinking of all, um, Stephen King's fake ones. (laughs) Like, um, Jerusalem's Lot and all those fake ones. Um, but... Yeah, no, he's like, let's, those aren't good enough. Portland is not good enough. Let's make a few spookier ones to fuck around with. So the narrative jumps between the late 50s, when the group of protagonists are children, and the mid-80s, which was present time, when the novel was released. And it follows a group of children, lovingly referred to as the Losers Club, because they all suck in some cliched 1950s fashion, like one of them has glasses. Oh, man. One of them's eating chocolate bars all the time. Loser. You know, it's just... And there's also one Smurfette token woman. Um, I'd like to point out that I am both wearing glasses, I ate chocolate earlier today, and I am a woman. So... So I'm feeling pretty red right now. (laughs) I'm targeted, so you're everything that this monster would love to devour. I'll tell you why. No! Beverly is the one woman, and she carries all the weird sexual tension of all the teenage boys in their formative years on her dainty shoulders. No. Which is just a problem with Stephen King in general, but whatever. Um, Actually, he's written some good women. I don't want to get into that. (laughs) There are some. So, one of the losers is Bill, Um, He's kind of the main one. He has a terrible stutter. And the book opens, very famously, you might know this scene, with his little brother, Georgie. I do. Um, You know it. Um, He's, like, six, and he's chasing his paper boat down the street in a rainstorm, and it goes down the storm drain, and he goes to reach for it. And who is to appear in that drain but Pennywise the Dancing Clown, who, um... Does he dance? 
he calls himself Pennywise the Dancing Clown. He doesn't dance in the miniseries. He does in the uh, remake, the 2017 remake, but I think a lot of people made it a meme. Okay. So that's actually was healing for me to watch. <laughs> um, the memification of it. I think it's more like he's like an old-timey clown. He's okay. like a turn-of-the-century sort of clown in old-timey garb. He doesn't do so much dancing as murdering. Mm. So basically, he's trying to lure, like, hiya, Georgie. It's like a very creepy, just like in the sewer. Good Tim Allen. Thank you. Tim Allen? Tim Allen, damn it. I'm Tim so Curry. Bad. Tim you Curry. just more adorned yourself again. <laughs> Classic. Oh my god. Uh, guys. Oh my god. You know what I just imagined? A world in which Tim <laughs> Allen played this character, and I've never had one nightmare. So thank you for that gift. Yeah, I do my um, best. <laughs> Tim Curry. Yeah, that's like how I would repel my bogger. <laughs> like imagining <laughs> Tim Allen as Pennywise instead dead um so yeah the bu- the book movie miniseries opens with georgie being violently murdered and so that's sort of a catalyst for the losers club to be invested in figuring out what's going on in the town because months go on after georgie's very mysterious and violent death and more children get murdered and this little shanty town in maine keeps rationalizing it for some reason they're like oh it's just you know there was a storm so naturally this child was murdered in the street <laughs> So a knife just flew into him. Yeah. So slowly the kids in the Losers Club start seeing strange things around Derry, and they start eventually seeing it. They see it in its clown form, its creepy, dancing, like, joking, taunting clown form, and then it also appears to them in the form of whatever they particularly fear most. Now, when I describe them, it does not sound, like scary at all it sounds ridiculous like it shows up as a mummy or as a werewolf which is like that sounds kind of silly but Stephen King pulls it off obviously he made he makes like lampshades and yeah very scary I don't I don't know how he does it true but like to Beverly there's like a waterfall of blood in her bathroom and nobody can see it but her Mm. and it's just she has to every time she walks in her bathroom there's blood stains everywhere and you know she tries to tell her father and he can't see it. So she has to just live in this house looking at that. So it's it's shit like that. It's, te- it's constant terrorizing. And so that's the thing that really got me when I was a kid, among many things, was... It's like there's a scene when they're in the library and the clown is there running around taunting them, popping balloons that have blood inside them, so there's blood splattering all over the walls, and, like, screaming at them and laughing at them, and everyone in the library is just reading and going Mm. about their day, and nobody can see it. You don't even have the escape of running to a crowded street. You can't run away from it. Um, I don't like this at all! It's horrible! It's horrible! And it'll tie back into sort of the overarching fears associated with it, but it's just you can't outrun it. You can't escape it. It's not about the thing. It's about the fear. Yeah. So the rest of the story doesn't really matter, but they basically escape the monster when they're children, and then they find out it's just gone to sleep, and it goes on a killing spree every 27 years. Classic. So, you know. Nice round number. <laughs> exactly. Um, so since they know about this monster, and they know what it's capable of, they vow to each other to come back in 27 years and defeat it for good to try to save other children in the town. Uh, which is good of them. I would have been like, I'm moving to Phoenix and never speaking to any of you again. 100%. Um, 
And that's pretty much what happens. They eventually, like, band together and, you know, like, spoilies alert for this incredibly famous 40-year-old <laughs> story, but that's pretty much what happens. Um, they band together, they face it, and will it to die? They sort of... It gets very meta at the end. Yeah. But again, not important. So the miniseries was a whole different ball of wax because some piece of shit decided to ruin my life and produce it in the year 1990, four <laughs> years before my birth. This is the one that stars Tim Curry mm-hmm. of... Rocky Horror Picture Show. Rocky Horror Picture Show fame. And Tim Curry is the best and worst thing about it because Mm -hmm. undeniably he gives a fabulous performance. He is this incredible incarnation of everything that was scary about it in the novel because he has this animated, crazy, maniacal joy to his sadistic acts. Like, the laugh that he has in this miniseries is haunting and crazy and just insanity. It's the sound of his voice, specifically, is something that would just absolutely haunt me. It would keep me awake at night. It still keeps me awake at night. You know, it's so bad. Did it ruin Rocky Horror Picture Show for you? It didn't. I tried to, like, use Rocky Horror as a way to cope with this, but it didn't work. No. Um, but I still love that film. For some, Somehow it's different to me. And Clue didn't help either, but whatever. He's great in Clue. But yeah, no, he, he undeniably puts on a great performance. But he will enter your nightmares and claw the inside of your brain until you beg for the sweet release of death. No. So that's... And then the new remake, which just came out last year in 2017, I actually didn't have that hard of a time with that. Because, to be honest, Tim Curry's portrayal of the monster was the most upsetting thing about the story to me. Mm-hmm. So, I was kind of like, eh, this is fine. I saw a scene from it, though, by accident. It started it started going, and mm. I watched it. Bad idea. I didn't love it. No. <laughs> it was still scary, but it didn't, like, scar me in the same way. Fair enough. So, I want to just move through a few things that I find really horrifying about this. Stephen King loves many things, I'm sure. I assume his wife, Tabitha, is among them. But he truly loves nothing more than to shatter the illusion of childhood innocence. Mm. Childhood (laughs) trauma is his absolute favorite thing to investigate. And he has this way of accessing you and your fear in your childhood brain. Like, he has this way of reverting you back And the movie does this, and the characters do this, just reverting you back to the things that truly, truly scared you as a child. Because when you were a child, you were genuinely scared of stories, of monsters, of the boogeyman, whatever it was. You were genuinely scared of that. That fear is not invalid just because Mm -hmm. of your age. You know, the logic behind it was, but the fear was real. And there is just this thing that happens in this narrative And it happens to the characters. These characters come back and they know it's not real and they know that they're adults now and that things are different, but it doesn't matter because sort of the more childlike they become, the more tantalizing prey they are Mm. to it who only feeds on children. So that's fucked. The second thing that I wrote down was uh, these words, which are Tim Curry and I can't explain why. (laughs) Um, I don't know what else to tell you. You'll just have to go watch some of the scenes. I will not. 
<laughs> you should for me. No. I don't know if we'll link to them because then that will be on our Twitter forever, but... No. Um, I think I'm I'm not gonna sleep tonight just because of your vivid wordsmithing. Mm, thank you. You're welcome and also, damn it, because yeah. that's rough. Uh, I believe you. I'm not gonna watch it. <laughs> I think that that's wise. But uh, listeners, if you feel brave enough... Yeah, if you're braver than me, please go look at the pictures, watch a couple scenes... Destroy yourselves, as I've destroyed myself, and then tweet at me, because I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that. But I think the most horrifying thing about this story is what I touched on earlier, which is the fact that fear is the thing we can't escape. Mm -hmm. It is the one thing that we cannot escape. And that's the truth that's in this story, the fact that you can escape the monster, but you can't necessarily escape the fear of the monster. They all leave Derry. None of them stay, except for one character who ends up, I think, dying. But they all leave, and they come back 27 years later, and they don't even know why they're doing it. They don't really remember. Like, once you leave Derry, the memories fade. But their lives have been ruined. One of them commits suicide after 27 years because he starts to remember the things that happened. And it's just so tethered to the fact that even once the experience leaves you, even once there is logic for you to tell yourself it's over, it's never over. And that's true about things that aren't monsters, you know? The thing, the terrible things that happen to us, there is healing and there is wonderful ways to move forward with your life, but the idea that, that idea, the idea that you can't escape, the idea yeah. that something could enter your brain and terrify you and truly never leave mm -hmm. is almost unbearable. Yeah. And it's the thing that does really just keep me up at night. It's just, I think about that laugh. I think about those scenes. I think about it for whatever reason. I don't know why it's this, but like, I just think about it and I have to turn my lights on. There's this one scene where one of the guys, I think his name is Ben. <laughs> he used to be the fat one and then he got skinny. Ugh, the 80s, enough already. <laughs> but um, he has the hots for Beverly, obviously. And they're holding each other because, you know, they're they're back in Derry and they've been going through these horrible things and they're holding each other like, I just don't know what we're going to do and blah, blah, blah. And he's holding her and then he looks to the side and he sees her hand has a white glove on it. <gasps> And he pulls back and realizes that it's the clown no! holding him. And in the dead of night sometimes, when my boyfriend and I are, like, lying in bed, like, going to sleep, I think about that. Like, I'm, like, yeah! lying on my side, like, facing away from him, and then I, like, look back, and I'm like, okay, you're still you, you're fine. Um, and this is not news to him. I've expressed this to him before, when I, like, whip around, and he's like, what? And I'm like, are you, okay, this is fine. Um, but, like, it just... No. Because it could be anything, because it could be anywhere, because nobody will see you experience it, you're just trapped. There's no way out. Mm-hmm. And even if there is a way out, you know, the, the point is to terrify you in a way that is lasting, in a way that won't let go. And it hasn't. <laughs> and I am still scared of the dark, and I'm still scared of this fucking miniseries... And if I ever meet Stephen King in person, I will punch him directly in the face because he ruined my life. Oh, God. Um, but he didn't really. But he ruined a lot of my nights. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, it's just like this shitty paperback that some guy in the woods wrote to undo me. Oh. I'm horrified. I'm horrified for you, and I'm horrified for myself now. We shouldn't have recorded this so late at night. It's 1040. Yeah, this was a bad move. We should have um, done it brunch time like we usually do. Yes, we should have. But what am I cautiously optimistic about? Nothing. Because I know they're making more of them. They are. They are, totally. They're gonna maybe make Jessica Chastain the girl, so that's cool, because she's good. That would be cool. The fact that I'm not scared of any Skarsgård. Mmm. I'm cautiously optimistic about that. Yeah. They'll never hurt me. <laughs> they can't get to me. Not no. in this steel trap of a brain. <laughs> Tim Curry has to die eventually. Oh. It's not him. It's no, not it's his the, fault. It's the makeup. It's his beautiful acting. Yeah. His wonderful skill. He's too good. He's too good. And it's ruined your whole life. <laughs> it's ruined me. <laughs> That's deeply spooky. And you're right, like, the specificness about it is yeah. what makes it spooky. And the, like, inevitability of it's gonna be somewhere, you can't get away. Per- like, the pervasiveness of it. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm scared now. Yeah, I don't want to leave your room. I want to just stay here. Okay, well, we're going to end the podcast, but we'll probably hold hands and maybe <laughs> snuggle in um, one of our bedrooms oh, <laughs> until the morning. Oh, no. Um, because neither of us are particularly brave. <sighs> so we would suggest that you do the same. Yeah. If you're upset by this podcast. Find someone that you trust yeah. emotionally and snuggle them tonight. Regardless of whether you're scared by this or not. That's just nice. Yeah, that's just a nice way to go to bed. Stay horrified, everyone. Stay horrified. Thank you.